tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. should I say hello? Or should I say hello? You could hear the regular letters, the capital letters, and possibly the italics. My name is Ben. My name is Nolan. Ben, why are you shouting at me? Oh, I'm shouting at our uh, fellow friends and neighbors and listeners. And we prepped our super producer, Casey Pegram, uh, because we wanted him to know that someone was going to raise their voice. I do have to say, Ben, that was the most low-grade shout that I've ever heard. That was a very gentle morning shout, and I appreciate that because it is, after all, 9 a.m. as we record this episode. Yeah, hopefully we could get the point across, though, Noel. Uh, have you ever been in a moment, my old friend, where you feel like you could picture what someone is saying to you as though it were written down in text? Sort of in like a comic booky automatopoeia kind of way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, like somebody somebody says something with a certain amount of emphasis or shade, and you can picture the italics when they say, oh, that one. See, now it's interesting that you flip it in that direction because when you when you look at it like that, yes, I can get that tone and I can picture a text version of it. But when you flip the script and look at the text-only version, it is sometimes a little tricky to get that nuanced tone, which is why the fact that today people communicate more in the written language than ever before is an interesting conundrum because a lot is lost in translation. A lot of that tone and nuance flies right out the window and we get a lot of cranky people that think that you're mad at them when you send them a text uh, without any kind of signifiers of, of levity, right? Right, and there's such a question that occurs because our punctuation system is still evolving to properly convey tone. Uh, you've heard of different attempts to, let's say, revise 
phrase or clarify punctuation like the famous interrobang, which is a question mark that is also an exclamation mark. I love that word. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's a word that could mean a lot of things. Uh in for our purposes, it it describes this uh new attempt at punctuation and this all exists because it's so very easy to misread text. Uh, you'll also hear the statistic that uh, sometimes you'll hear 90%, sometimes you'll hear 70% or anywhere in that ballpark. It just is the majority of information conveyed when you're talking to another person in person is actually not verbal. And that's the reason why if you look at a transcript of any conversation you have with any of your friends or strangers on the street, you'll find that the conversation itself doesn't make much sense. There are a lot of ellipses. There are a few coherent sentences. So when we are limited to a single form of communication, a text-only interface, we have to think very carefully about what we say and how we type it. Yeah, I was talking about like little signifiers of levity, like some people uh, depend on the exclamation mark. Some people absolutely despise the exclamation mark. I am one that uses it to show that I'm excited about something. And there are some people that I think get it and some people that it bugs the hell out of, like my girlfriend. So I do not text her exclamation marks anymore. But, you know, you there's there's emojis, obviously, you can use to show that you're telling a joke or that you're, you know, being light about something. But the all-powerful shouty caps is what today's episode is about. And it turns out that it's got a history that goes way farther back than just early internet message boards and news groups. Right, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. No, because we're all familiar with uh, an internet forum where you see one person writing in all caps to emphasize something, sometimes without an exclamation mark, just very, very loud. And we have all seen these comments online before. Now, I don't want to say these people, because for Pete's sake or for Polk's sake, uh, we have all been these people at some point when we are attempting to somehow encapsulate the entirety of in-person communication in a single form of that communication. Ben, you do not strike me as a, a text shouter. You are far too eloquent for that. Say it ain't so. Uh, that's very kind, but I feel that it works really well with some comedic things. Uh, there was only one time in my life I ever did it seriously, and I stand by it. You got to pick your battles. So what happens when we look at the state of communication? What's strange is that in any Latin-based language. So anything that doesn't use ideograms like a like an eastern language, right? In any latin-based language, it is known as shouting if you use capital letters. We mentioned that this goes further back than you might imagine. But how far back does it go? Yeah, it's really interesting cuz you would think that this is sort of a product of the internet, like we were talking about with those early message boards and stuff. But as it turns out, uh, according to a really cool piece written on meh.com, which I think started out as like a, a e-commerce site and then mm -hmm. ended up being more of a message board, a guy by the name of Dave Fleischman kind of delves into the evolution of using all caps as this indicator of shouting. And he actually found quite a few examples that date back hundreds of years, as it turns out. 
Noel, I propose that as we travel to meet Mr. Fleischman,、uh, we go the long route and stop by the Roman Empire first, courtesy of our super producer's time machine. He is really a jack of all trades. That Casey Pegram, he produces, edits, engineers, has a segment. On the case with Casey, and as it turns out, is a scientific genius and inventor of time machines. We are some lucky dudes to be associated with this giant. Do you notice that he doesn't go with us on these jaunts through time and space? No, no, he has to be in the home base, keeping an eye on things, and making.、Uh, and he he pulls us out in like Star Trek style when things get hairy. Right? Got to have a man at the switch, right? Here we are, Roman Empire. Observe all the amazing architecture, all the strange dress, all the written text. I'm doing it. I'm observing it. <laughs> And as we're looking at this architecture, let's observe all these numerous written inscriptions. Those are capital letters. Capital letters evolved in this time during the Roman Empire because the stonecutters who made these monuments and made these buildings also made inscriptions using large, straight letters. They both were easily legible and they showed a grandiose nature. Right? They they added some gravitas. That's right, Ben. In fact, in an article、uh, from the New Republic by Alice Robb, Robb interviews Professor Paul Luna, who's the director of the Department of Typography and Graphic Communication at the University of Reading in the UK. And Luna cites that the use of all caps was meant to convey grandeur, pomposity,、uh, aesthetic seriousness, and has been used that way for thousands of years, as we're seeing with our very eyes、uh, during this time travel tableau. Yes, and there's not a chicken and egg situation here, which I find so fascinating. It is proven that what we interpret as uppercase today did come before lowercase. Lowercase became an adaptation of uppercase, the same way that Taken started out as a film and is now a television adaptation. <laughs> That's a really good way of looking at it. It's true.、Um, lowercase letters were developed more、um, as as a functional kind of thing, so that that books could be written by hand. In fact, it was during Charlemagne's Carolingian Renaissance, which happened、uh, from the late eighth century to the ninth century,、um, where a、uh, group of monks under the leadership of Alcyon of York, who was an English scholar,、um, created this Carolingian minuscule. Script that would serve as the basis for what would become the modern uppercase, lowercase alphabet we know today. Right, that sweet, sweet mixtape, that crossover, that Venn diagram, where you can write every letter at least two ways. Fast forward to Italy. By the time movable type reaches Italy, this writing had evolved to that consistent model. And if we check back with our friend,、uh, Mr. Fleischman, whom I would like to call Dave at this point, are you okay with that? I'm okay with Dave. All right, so he's one of the Daves we know. He's one of the Daves we know. <laughs> There are several Daves we know, but he is one. Dave tells us that the first citation he can find in the modern age for the use of all caps. For some sort of emphasis, occurs in a Washington D.C. newspaper called the Evening Star in an article that published on February twenty eighth, eighteen fifty six, and it's a、uh, 
<laughs> There's a use of air quotes here. Uh, Dave calls it a, quote, hilarious dialect story about a Dutchman who appears to be disease-ridden. And we have the sentence here for you. I tells you, I've got der smallpox. Don't ye vetesh? Der smallpox! This time he shouted it in capital letters. And the capital letters there. They're smallpox! Are the, are smallpox. And, uh, I think that was a great reading, Noel. I, we, we want to say we are not, do, we are not doing any sort of uh, Dutch stereotype or Dutch, uh. That wasn't a bad Dutch, Dutch voice. I knew a Dutchman once. Yeah, I don't think it was a bad Dutch voice, but I want people to know that you were reading it as it was written. Oh, 100%. Verbatim. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, as it turns out, I think um, he was talking about a small box and not smallpox. <laughs> That's what it says in, in the article That's here by, by Fleischman. Um, we've got a bunch of cool examples of this uh, from Mr. Fleischman. Another one is from 1870 um, from The Shamrock in Ireland, which published a multi-part fictional uh, series called The Sore Grievance of Well-Spanked John. He was well spanked. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, the narrator, for whatever reason, I'd like to get my hands on this, is thrown into a basket of duck eggs. Mm-hmm. Must have been a big basket. <laughs> yes. And uh, we have the line here. Uh, is shortly after his aunt is told she must pay for this great basket of duck eggs. Twelve shillings and seven pence, roared my aunt in the biggest capital letters. Twelve and seven pence. Good gracious me. That is a hefty ticket price for a basket of duck eggs. But if it was big enough for a grown man to fall into, that actually seems like a pretty good deal, if you ask me. <laughs> yes, or uh, for anyone, you know, uh, don't, isn't that part of the American dream? A basket of duck eggs big enough to fall in? Yeah, I like it. You know, sort of like a metaphor for the good life. Like a bowl of cherries, a basket of duck eggs. There we go. And in the, it's interesting because in both of these cases, there are capital letters, but they apply to two different things. They have two different connotations, which I would argue are readily apparent in the evening star example. Uh, as, as Noel explained, their smallpox is humorous mm-hmm. with its capitalization, right? And we are laughing at the character's voice because it meant small box, but they said small pox. Right. And in the second example, the capitalization is on 12 and 7 because the aunt is so aghast yes. at, at this, <laughs> this rapacious fee for this basket of duck eggs. Um, next, we have one that's really interesting because it comes from a manual for the, the proper use of the language, mm-hmm. right? So this is from 1880, and the book was called The Standard Speaker and Elocutionist. And it says to readers, um, it gives some examples that the following selections are marked in capital letters, which is in capital letters uh, in this quote, um, as the appropriate place for shouting emphasis. And it uses uses uh, an example of a fantastic poem by Tennyson called The Charge of the Light Brigade. There are other examples such as uh, the enthusiasm of the shout in capital letters or warning signals which flash up in front of his eyes and shout in capital letters, slow down. That's from 1913. And all of these examples are from that piece, Capital Crimes Part 1, Shout, Shout, Let It All mm-hmm. Out by our pal Dave Fleischman, um, and you can check this out yourself on meh.com. Definitely worth a read, and it's two parts to boot. And so 
we see these uses of language evolving in different places, almost in different periods of time. And the funny thing is that every single time they pop up post-Roman era, people know what it means. They know if it's a joke when they're reading it. They know if it's a very strong imperative sentence, you know, or any number of traffic signs that I have been in trouble for violating. And we will get back to traffic signs a little bit later, but you're absolutely correct. So I think all of this uh, talk we've been doing, we, we've been doing in the Roman era. So we should, uh, we should, we should rewind back to the present. Yeah, people are looking at us. Good call, good call. Hey, Casey, thanks for pulling us back there. He, we, we got a uh, just doing my job nod. I know, but it was getting hairy, and we didn't. He knew. He already knew he had it queued up and ready to go. He didn't even need us to use the safe word, which is <laughs> Fidelio. That's your safe word. I have a different one. Don't you think it's a little confusing? What's that? You, know, you think it's a little confusing? We shouldn't, should, should we just sync up on safe words? I'm glad to use yours. Oh, oh, hey. You don't want to share? It wouldn't be safe. Oh, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Uh, we are in a present where the president of the United States tweets using all caps, which is uh, interesting. 
Yes, interesting and sets a precedent. We are watching linguistic history evolve as we record today. Right. Uh, for Fleischmann, there's a difference between shouting and signifying importance. Right. Uh, and Fleischmann does argue he's on the same page with us that everyone alive today who uses an online service understands that when you use uppercase, you're shouting. It is kind of intuitive and it makes sense uh, visually, actually, because Professor Paul Luna um, in that New Republic piece this is how he characterizes it. Uh, quote, all capitals provides visibility, maximum size within a given area. All caps in an email looks like shouting because when someone is shouting, you're aware of the shout and not the nuance. Uh, all caps fills the space. So there's an element of feeling that the message is crowding out everything else. And this kind of comes back to the idea that in general, shouty caps is looked at as kind of poor form and, and kind of rude and Almost a replacement for substance at times. Yeah, agreed. And a little bit outdated because it's associated with uh, perhaps a lack of familiarity with online communication in this day and age. And found a very interesting thing here. The original typewriters were all capital were all uppercase letters, meaning that if you had an older, outdated keyboard or typewriter, something pre-1894 or so, then the only letters you could send would look like very loud telegrams. And it's funny because my mom texts this way to this day. I'm not joking. She texts, not all caps, but there's no punctuation. But that has become kind of a trope, right? That if you are seen as using all caps, you're either being rude and loud and shouty, or like you said, you're using outdated technology and therefore seen as being old school or really just plain old. And let's get back to, to our, to our tweeting president, a guy named Stephen Huxley. He's the chair of communication and media at Swinburne University of Technology in Australia. He says in an article from the Washington Post, uh, that it's pretty unusual, highly unusual is how he phrases it for a president to rely on all caps, um, in these public messages and that is because – I'm going to quote him because this is perfect. Quote, if your message is good, your message is clear, you don't need to add emphasis. It's irrelevant. Um, he says that using all caps signals that there has been a communication breakdown uh, between the sender and the receiver. So it implies that you're kind of struggling to communicate in a way. And he uses the example of someone who is trying to communicate with someone who speaks a foreign language and repeats themselves – Mm-hmm. Not only repeats themselves, but actually, English? yeah, but do you speak English? As, as though like the loudness of it will make it easier to understand, which we all know is absolutely not the case and comes off as like, whoa, mm-hmm. get out of my face with that, you know? And he says that it's poor form and it's rude and it's received as rude. As it should be. Kind of. And so if we, if we ask where this sprang from in, the modern age online, right? We know that we know that beforehand it was relatively intuitive, right? Pay attention to this is what that means, uh, especially if you're looking at a sentence where upper and lowercase phrases are mixed together. If you look at all of them, you're going, oh no, another forward email from one of my relatives or something. 
in the online sphere, early internet users would say this interpretation of all caps is shouting, like the current president, would go back to at least 1984 in March. Uh, there was a fellow named Dave Decoe, uh, D-E-C-O-T, who was at the time a computer science student at Case Western Reserve University. In a forum, he laid out what he saw as three different types of um, communication through visual design, right, rather than content. Uh, he said that there were three sorts of emphasis in use, and he ordered them in popularity. So we're going to start at number three and go up to the most popular. Number three, he said, was spacing words out, Uh you know, putting a space between the S, the P, the A, the C, the I, and G in spacing. And it's interesting because the spacing out words thing is kind of stuck around, but more in an aesthetic uh, way with like meme pages and uh, message boards and Tumblr, like as a way of kind of creating sort of a, a fun aesthetic look. Like, for example, there's a band that I really like, an electronic band called Survive. And the way their name is always printed is in all caps with a space between every letter. <laughs> so this actually combines. It, which is what he said it would do, spacing words out, possibly accompanied by one and two on this list. Two being using asterisks to put sparklers around an emphasized word. I I've never heard that before. That's so, funny. So try to – this is going to be a fun experiment for everybody. Uh, try to read that sentence again and then put asterisks, if you can, verbally around one of those words. And let's see if people can guess which one it is. Using asterisks. To put sparklers around emphasized words. <laughs> I feel like that was pretty apparent, don't you? I wish I had a way, like, verbally to make my words sparkle. <laughs> I think you do pretty well. Wow. I think we both do. And number one, of course, is using capital letters to make the word look louder. Yeah, it's true. So this, again, dates back to a hardware issue, a technological adaptation issue. Uh, we talked about early typewriters. I mentioned the evolution from upper and lowercase for typewriters, but there was something similar that occurred with computer terminals. Yeah, that's right. Um, this message board post was just after computer terminals switched from all uppercase, like you're talking about with those old typewriters, to mixed case keyboards. Um, so when you've got the option of either writing in lowercase or uppercase letters or a mix of the two, the early web thought that all caps was a great way to uh, communicate emphasis or shouting. But if you didn't know what the uh, the netiquette, I guess, was, good, yeah. um, then using all caps just made you seem old. Like I was saying earlier, this idea that you were not up to date on the newer technology um, or the new uh, Internet lingo. Right. Yeah. As as I pointed out with the typewriter stuff, the implication is that perhaps somebody is still bound by pre-existing or unupdated technology or, as Noel mentioned, perhaps they are not catching up on netiquette. So Fleischmann was pretty clear that the internet did not invent this. So every time you get that crazy email or that strange text or that, that weird post in a forum where somebody's saying something relatively normal, such as, I don't know, um, peanut butter sandwiches are actually pretty good with bananas and honey added. And it's all in caps. They might not know that they're yelling at you. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's a real thing, and it existed before the Internet. 
der smallpox. <laughs> Sorry. It's actually, it's actually a pretty good joke and I, I like the way Noel read it. And where does this leave us today? Well, um, in this article, how all caps came to signify shouting, as in Trump's see you in court by Ben Guarino from the Washington Post, uh, Guarino makes a really interesting point about the evolution of language. He cites a quote from Richard Sterling, who teaches at the University of California, Berkeley. He spoke to the New York Times and was talking about this idea that younger Internet users who've been brought up with a much more casual attitude towards capitalization and punctuation, how uh, casual emails often are completely written in lowercase. And he says, uh, I think in the future, capitalization will disappear. And uh, he says he doesn't think it's that worrying at all because language, as we've talked about in other episodes of the show, can evolve and, and should be adaptable. But it's interesting because there is actually has been sort of a, a backlash against the caps lock key, the key itself. Do you know about this, Ben? This is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about it. Well, um, in the New Republic article, How Capital Letters Became Internet Code for Yelling, the author Alice Robb spoke to um, a man by the name of Matthew J.X. Malady, who made it his life's work, or at least part of it, to get rid of the caps lock key entirely. And he told Slate, quote, the key is a nuisance. It's prime real estate leading us to depress it unintentionally and often unwittingly. And uh, the article also talks about a man named Peter Hinchens, who launched a campaign called Caps Off in 2006 uh, to get the key removed from the keyboard entirely. It was not a successful effort. Yet. Yet uh, it, it is still around. But yeah, you know, you use the shift key. Why mm-hmm. do you even need caps lock? You just hold down the shift key. Hilarious part about the caps off campaign, by the way, is that their slogan is stop shouting in all caps. Uh in, in Good Riddance, uh, the article by Christopher Beam on Slate, uh, they also note that Google, when they unveiled their Google CR48 notebook, made the decision to ditch the caps lock key. No way. Yeah, they took it out. Oh, man. You're going to have to hold down shift, ladies and gentlemen. And if you think about it, if you're looking at, if, if you're in the Western world, uh, you're probably working with a QWERTY computer named after the six letters at the top left, right? Uh, then you can see, if you look at your keyboard now, if you have one, that caps lock and shift are, are kind of redundant, you know? You ever notice those little braille kind of hash marks on the F and the J keys on mm-hmm. the keyboard? Yeah. Apparently, those are meant to help you find the home row. Touch you typing. Can, you can touch type. No, nah, I don't do that. I didn't learn to type like that. I just kind of learned, you know, <laughs> just throw it into the fire and just kind of figured it all out. I'm a child of the internet. Um, this is neat, though. This this movement away from all caps and this, like, seeing it as being kind of mm-hmm. gauche and, like, poor uh, communication skills, mm-hmm. it extends to government agencies, as it turns out. The National Weather Service had a history of using all caps in its weather reports, and that was because the teletype machine that had been historically used only communicated in capital letters. But on April 11th, 2016, the uh, the National Weather Service uh, sent a press release in all caps that said this, listen up. Beginning on May 11, NOAA's National Weather Service forecasts will stop yelling at you. <laughs> That's great.
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is where we're at now. It appears that the reign of all caps may be coming to a close as netiquette evolves. But I argue there's something greater at work here. And I want to see what you think about this, Noel, because we, we see these backlashes against 
the language changing. English, the language we were speaking in, in case anybody <laughs> was listening and wondering, what is this strange sound I understand? English is a living language, which means that it evolves by consensus, no matter um, how the people at the OED or Oxford English Dictionary labor, ultimately the people who speak the language decide what the language means and how it is best represented audibly or in type, in some sort of physical form. And now what we're seeing, despite the objection of the numerous so-called grammar Nazis, is a move away from punctuation, and we're moving toward, or should I say back toward, an ideogrammatic sort of language with the rise of one of your favorite things, pal, emoji. I'm a fan. You're a fan. I, I, you know, our coworker Tristan, uh, mm-hmm. another super producer in the How Stuff Works family, um, is a big fan of of communicating exclusively using emojis solely, and, and he only chose like three. Yeah, exactly. But somehow. <laughs> Uh, It gets the idea across. Mm -hmm. The O-face emoji is the big one he likes to use. And what we're noting here about the ideographic use of emoji is that currently it seems really controversial. As we're recording this just a, a few years back, pretty recent in the historical record, someone wrote a novel entirely in emoji which I have not read, so I cannot comment on it. But uh, there are a lot of faces in it. Ooh, there's an eggplant. That might be the racy part. I hear there's a movie that's written all in emoji. Like a script? No, it's the emoji movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's really sad. Uh, Casey Pegram will cringe at this, but Saudi Arabia recently lifted its ban on public uh, movie screenings. And mm-hmm. the first movie that was available for public screening was the emoji movie. So, Emoji are popular, and what's strange is that they're approaching – a universality, a new ubiquity, uh, they're approaching something like a common tongue. You and I don't have to speak Arabic in order to understand a smiling face. It's true, but these, uh, these sets of emoji graphics that come stock on a lot of, you know, phones have their roots in, in Japan. And so there are a lot of, uh, of, of emojis that have different meanings, you know, to the Japanese than they do to us. And then there are the most more basic ones that are just like, you know, a smiling face yeah. or the O face or, or what have you that we can take and understand more universally. But then there are, you know, in these sets that you go real deep and there are like foods that maybe we're not super mm-hmm. familiar with or just, just, I can't think of a specific example right now. Can you? Yeah. Gestures. And I'm really glad you mentioned this because while it is easier to communicate across languages in emoji, it's not instant fluency. It's very culturally dependent. So in the Western world, or let's call it Abrahamic religions, Judeo-Christian values, uh, the folded hands like this are seen as representing prayer. Japanese emoji users will see it as a salutation And younger people from a secular background, think about this, think it's a high five. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Or it could be just like kind of a Wonder Twins Unite kind of. <laughs> right. I use it as thank you. Is that the common use in in, in, in America? Or? I use it as thank you or an ironic bless up. Nice. <laughs> With a hashtag. So we bring emoji up just to show that the story of the all capital shout is one piece of a larger tapestry, a tapestry that we as speakers of a language, as writers of a language, 
are helping to weave collectively. You're important. You're a part of this. If you want the semicolon to stay, then by golly, you have to fight for it. And if you want, if you want to write entirely in emoji, the hieroglyphic of our time, then you have to fight for that as well. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, communication is just about the message, not the medium, for the most part, right? So whatever works uh, is pretty much fair game, or at least that's the way it's seen with um, texting and Internet communication and, and all of the stuff that's led to where we are today. So what, what, what is your preferred method for conveying emphasis in text? Let us know how you let your significant other know that you're not grumpy when you send them a matter-of-fact text to pick up some milk from the store. Because uh, I'm telling you, it's so funny. Like, it's I do it myself where someone will send, just text me, okay, period, or something. And I'm like, whoa, what did I do? <laughs> you know, and it's so unreasonable. There's no, you have no inclination that this person isn't angry or that you've done anything. But it's so easy to get in your own head about what could be going on that would lead them to send you such a terse text. Please help us. Let us know. How do you communicate emphasis? How do you communicate levity? We want to know. Write us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can also hit us up on social media where we are Ridiculous History on Facebook, Twitter, and also Instagram. You can, uh, additionally, while you're on the Internet, check out an excellent key and peel sketch about the dangers of communication via text, uh, similar to the Kids in the Hall sketch uh, about the guy who doesn't know that he sounds sarcastic. Bonus points, friends and neighbors, if you can, in your email, show us the form that you prefer. Don't, don't just tell us about it. Do the whole thing. If you send an email that is entirely an emoji, we will decipher it. We have top people on the case. And one of those top people is Jessalyn Shields, who wrote the article, Shouty Caps are a much older invention than you think for HowStuffWorks.com. So thanks to Jessalyn for her contributions to this episode. And of course, we would also like to thank our super producer, Casey Pegram. And Alex Williams, who wrote our theme. And most importantly, picture an asterisk around this next word, you. Thanks for listening. So sparkly, all of you. And be sure to join us next time for another episode of Ridiculous History. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. 
I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.